Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. This is your host, Sabria Mills, and I would like to welcome you to a special Ramadan series edition with someone that I really, really am excited to have on this show. The title of today's podcast is Ramadan Wisdom from Layla's Lunchbox. So it kind of gives you an idea of who we have, but I'm going to introduce her. Um, this amazing sister, she's an educator. She taught second grade. Um, she was a second grade teacher for some years. She grew up as um, an immigrant Muslim from Pakistan with a love of writing um, as a child. Um, she is an author of a very popular book, Layla's Lunchbox. Um, she's also a writer of two more potential books, inshallah, coming out soon. Um, I am so happy to have Sister Reem Farouk here. Assalamu alaikum, sister, and welcome to the show. Alaikum salam. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, alhamdulillah, we, you know, we share a mutual friend. And when she told me about the potential of you have, having you on, I was like so excited because I, I love the book. <laughs> so, I'm so excited. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for being here. Um, so, you know, this is our Ramadan series, and I thought it was, it was just really important for us to um, talk a bit about, um, you know, definitely your book, but also just the wisdom that we can embark on children. So we're going to center a lot of our questions around um, basically children and how we're raising them and how we're incorporating and infusing this very unique Ramadan with our children. And I'm, I can't wait to get into this discussion. Um, so oh. Yeah. So sister, I wanted to just begin this discussion um, with asking you, it's our central theme question, but I love to hear everybody's perspective. Um, what do you think makes a Muslim woman dope? Yeah, I've been thinking about this question. And it's, um, it's such a good question. But I think um, for me, honestly, it's whenever I get anything done, like it could be if I make my two-year-old nap, or if I get the dishes done, or if I write a picture book and get edits. You know, when I get to check things off my checklist, I feel really good. So that's when I probably feel the most dope. <laughs> wow. You know, <laughs> that is such, I have to say, that's just such an authentic answer. I appreciate it on so many levels because that's pretty much it. Like, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, yeah. let's simplify this thing. When we can get some things done, yeah, we feel yeah. dope. And then I have yeah. antidote moments when <laughs> nothing's done. <laughs> but then I think it's okay. Like, everything will go at its own pace. As For me, for example, I can't have it all. Like, if I've gotten some really good edits done, then we'll probably be eating leftovers. Or if the house looks really good, then I've done not enough writing. So it's really hard to balance it all. But yeah. It really is. It really is. Panallah. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your journey with this book, because this is a ve- this is a book that is relevant to Ramadan. So first, um, first, let's, let's, can you break down the synopsis of Layla's lunchbox before I kind of go into the why you wrote it? Can you tell us a little bit about the story first and foremost? Yes, sure. So I will be giving spoiler alerts, <laughs> but basically it's about a girl who immigrates from Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates, to Peachtree City in America, Georgia. 
And she is shy about telling her classmates that she's fasting. So it's her first day of Ramadan in a new country, in a new continent. And at first, she's really excited. But when she realizes that no one else will be fasting with her in her new school, she gets really shy and hides the note in her book bag. And then later on at lunchtime, when she sort of sneaks to the library, a librarian gives her advice that when she gets shy, she writes her thoughts down. So then Layla takes that advice and writes a poem to her teacher and her class, explaining that she's Muslim and all about Ramadan. Wow. Yeah, that's a beautiful story and very relevant to a lot of our experiences. Um, yeah. And whether we're from a different country or here, it's tough in the, you know, in the public school yeah. system sphere and try to fast and navigate that. So subhanAllah. Yeah. So what made you write this book? Like what was the inspiration behind it? So it's interesting, you know, I started writing in 2010 and I wrote a lot of different stories and none of them got book offers. So I thought, um, let me write about something that's more about me. And I went back to my own experiences because like Layla, I moved from Abu Dhabi to America and I always struggled. I was older, but I still struggled with telling people why I wasn't eating lunch with them. And I thought, let me write a book about Ramadan because I read a lot of books one summer all about Ramadan and I noticed none of them took place in a school setting. And I thought as children, we spend so much time in school. So I wanted to have a book about Ramadan that took place in school, sort of sharing about something that makes you different. Yeah. Yeah. You were a teacher for years. Were you a teacher in public school? Yes. So I Mm -hmm. taught in college park at Stonewall Tell Elementary School. Wow. And so what was that experience? I mean, did you have Muslim children that you had in your class or were you kind of like the only Um, Muslim around? (laughs) I feel like there were a couple. Like I did have a couple of Muslim Mm -hmm. students now and then, but it wasn't very many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not very many. Yeah. And I I definitely... um, you know, appreciate that analysis. I'm a, a analysis because I'm a mother of three daughters, and um, they, you know, they attend. Yeah, Masha. Oh, yeah, really, you have three. Yeah, I didn't know you only had girls. That's cool. Me too. Yeah, only girls. Mashallah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of fun, right? Um, <laughs> For sure. But yeah, but you know, they they used to attend Islamic school their whole lives, and then when I put them in public schools, like, you know, they started to have these different discomforts, and so yeah. that's why this struck me because it's you kind of take it for granted if you're it's not in your face and you don't have the experience of having or even the children don't have the experience of having to try to explain why they're doing something different so I think that's yeah. a pretty yeah. did your children have I'm not sure if they're school age but did they have any similar experiences so right now they are in an Islamic school uh, one mm-hmm. of them was in a public school before but she wasn't old enough to fast so um not yet, but eventually when we make the transition to public school, then she'll probably feel the discomfort about what you're speaking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you, you know, like I said, we're, uh, you know, in this Ramadan, you know, most of us are quarantined, we're having Ramadan at home, um, and we're with our families, we're with, we're with our children. And like I said, I know for myself, it, it's, you know, trying to keep my kids engaged as well as keep up with my own acts of worship and work um, has been a struggle to put it lightly. Um, can you share some ways we can encourage um, our children during this unique month of Ramadan? Um, just ways of which we can 
in, engage them. I know you have a book. Um, are there some suggestions that you have? Um, to engage them in just in Ramadan? Learning. In learning. Yeah, like in learning this Ramadan, yes. Yes. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Let me think about that one for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I guess with me, I'm really into books. You know, I don't yeah. really do a lot of Ramadan decoration. That's <laughs> just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just I don't really do it. But I, what I do is in Ramadan, I'll usually reach out for a Ramadan stash of children's books and I'll put them near the front of our bookshelf. And I feel when we can see ourselves in our books, we're more likely to pick them up. So we'll read a lot of books. Um, we'll try to do more Quran and pray together. Even, you know, um, I've been, my kids have been watching. Have you heard of Noor Kids? Every day they do this live uh-huh. at seven o'clock and that's been really good for them. It's like there'll be a story and an activity and challenges. So that's been sort of keeping the Ramadan spirit going. And my nine-year-old lately and seven-year-old have really been enjoying baking. So each day it's like they're mm-hmm. making a new Ramadan cake, which has been fun, but um, full of sugar and yeah. busyness. So engaging in like, you know, even if it's not just engaging with like a book, but even just baking a cake, you're using your mind, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I love how you had the idea about actually having specific Ramadan children's books that is accessible for the kids. I think that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. Where they can see themselves, see the experiences, read about it. Are there, you know, and excuse my ignorance, but are there a lot? I mean, I know that you had said that you had read all of them at one point. Yes. Are there is a lot of Muslim Ramadan books for children out there? Yes, there are becoming quite a few. There's Drummer Girl by Hiba Masood that my daughters really like about this girl who um, plays the drums at Suhoor time to wake up the neighbors for fasting. Uh, and that's a true story. Yeah. That one's really good. There's Under the Ramadan Moon by Sylvia Whitman, and it's really lyrical. And there's these beautiful pictures, and it says Under the Ramadan Moon. There's Party in Ramadan by, I think, Asma Mobinadine. And it's about this girl who's kind of like my book, except she's at someone's birthday party, and she's chosen that day to fast. And she's, you know, she really wants some birthday Mm. cake, but how she sort of struggles with making her fast. And there are a lot of really good Ramadan books now. Um, Even if you just look online, there are lots of good ones. Yeah, I love that suggestion. I think that's a great one for our children. Um, But, you know, your book addresses, you know, like I said, the issue of identity, which is really important Mm -hmm. as we raise our children to have a strong sense of who they are and actually know why they do the acts that they do. Um, What are some ways that we can encourage our children to be proud of who they are, especially during a month like Ramadan? Yes. Yes. Um, oh, that's a good question. And I don't know if I especially know the answer to yeah. make them proud, but, um, did, did the, um, and Layla have a, like, I mean, I she had a have, proud moment. Oh yeah, I do have one. So remember how I said my daughter has been baking a lot. So yeah. they, you know, we have too much cake. So uh, sometimes each Ramadan will give it to the neighbors And that's a way of us kind of expressing ourselves to say, hey, I'm Muslim and it's Ramadan and here's some cake. And it's really cool because the other day we knocked on our neighbor's door and she was like, oh, it must be Ramadan. And I was like, yeah, you remembered. So 
you know, that's such a small thing, but that kind of made us proud to know that she remembered that it was our special month for us. So mm-hmm. that was one little way in which we kind of had our Muslim identity. And now it's trickier because right now with the quarantine, we're home all day. Like no one sees us. No one knows if we're fasting, if we're praying. We're not really hanging out at the masjid. So I think we really have to sort of dig deeper and um, be more intentional about fasting and sharing it with others. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, you know, maybe even building up that muscle within our children to be proud and and having some, you know, more awareness or more conversations about why we're doing what we're doing. Because I think sometimes we're so fast paced. And, you know, Ramadan, they're in school, they're this, they're that. Sometimes it's, you know, hard to really capture the essence of it. But this is a, a month to do that. So yeah. it's, it's a month to build that muscle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, lower, but mm-hmm. more peaceful for sure. You know, usually yeah. maybe like a crazy month where we were running around and there was like awards day ceremonies and like last minute projects and there's still stuff going on, but it's really nice to kind of slow down in Ramadan. It really is. It really is a blessing. Um so when you wrote the book, Layla's Lunchbox, um, you wrote it from the perspective of the school. Now, did you, I know, I know um, that we talked about you being an immigrant. Did you, were you born here or did you come over with your parents at a certain age or what, what was that experience like? Oh, so I was actually 13 when I moved. Um, I was okay. born in Bahrain and then I moved to Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And then when we were, I was 13, my father's job changed. So he um, moved here. So we all moved with him. So it was wow. you know, definitely different. Like I, you know, vividly remember like my old life and my new life. Like, you know, you hold on to a lot of your old memories. Like in America, you know, I just felt very different when I first moved here. Like my clothes were different. My accent was different. You know, I really missed, you know, back home. Um, and even like simple things. Like I remember we had a new phone number. And I didn't even want to memorize my new phone number because if I memorized my new phone number, it would mean that I had officially moved. So there were little things that I was just really holding on to. But now, I mean, I'm adjusted and I'm settled. It was just in the beginning, it's definitely an adjustment moving. Yeah, for sure. And so when you, so you were 13, so that's a critical age. So you came here, culture shock. Did you go immediately into the public school system or did you, yeah. did you have that experience? Oh, you did? So we did How was that? Uh, we did have summer holidays. Um, I mm-hmm. remember I was a little younger than everyone, and I'm not very big anyway, so I think I probably <laughs> seemed much younger than everyone. But um, So I think once I made a friend, then school became much better. So I think it's so important if we have been somewhere for a while to reach out to the person who's standing out to say, hey, do you want to eat lunch with me? I think people underestimate the power of those words just to ask someone to sit with you or make such a difference. Even I know we're not going to the masjid, but I know sometimes there'll be newcomers at the masjid. And if no one greets them or welcomes them, they're not going to want to come back. So I think that's important to really reach out to people who feel new and make them feel welcome because that really made a difference. Once I had a friend in school, everything got better. Yeah, I believe that. And what about your identity? Did you struggle because you came from sort of a where Islam was pretty, I don't want to say normalized, but it kind of was, or at least to be visibly Muslim. Um, how, what was that experience? Do you remember, recall how you felt identity-wise identifying as a Muslim or did you struggle with that? Mm-hmm. 
know what? It's interesting. When I first moved here, I don't think I did. I was so kind of rooted in it. I think probably a few years later when I'd been around um, our peers, I feel like then I struggled with it a little more. But when I had just moved here, I was so, um, I still, I was so fresh to the move. I didn't really change for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, and so I struggle you with remember it. fasting? Yeah, but you struggle with a few years later. But do you remember fasting? Do you recall fasting in school? Yes, and yes, I do. Not being an issue? Um, you know what? I didn't. I did go to the library and one of the the librarians' name is Carmen. Is actually my was my AP English teacher, Miss Carmen, who just a very supportive teacher. So I did go to the library, but I remember the first few days it was hard explaining why I wasn't eating lunch. You know, since I'd eaten lunch every day that year, all of a sudden, why um, you're not eating not just for a day but for a whole month? Definitely get some questions. So I remember explaining and getting a lot of questions like, "Oh, you can't even chew gum." No. Yeah. Not just not even water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as an adult, you know, I, I'm in um, professionally, I'm an educational consultant as well. So I work yes. in a variety of different schools and um, the same thing. You know, my colleagues are like, not even water. That's the famous line. It's like, yeah. you know, so you constantly are explaining even as an adult, you're constantly explaining and re-explaining, and <laughs> which is a good yes. thing, though. It's a yes. good thing. And it's it's good been thing. really cool because each year. I'll see my book kind of come back to life in Ramadan and there'll be like people posting pictures of their kids taking my book to school. And then I'm like, I feel really good. That's a moment when I'm happy that maybe a shy student can have the courage to share. That's always a really nice moment for me. Yeah. So, okay. So let me understand that then. So a lot of, I guess, during Ramadan, a lot of Muslim children, they may do a book share to explain Ramadan to their class and they use your book. Is that what you're saying? Yes. yes. Uh, like I'll see people posting it on Instagram where there'll be this child kind of holding the book and, or even teachers now and librarians, which are really cool. They'll sort of pull my book out for Ramadan read aloud. Hmm, that's amazing. That's amazing. So tell me a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about it then. As far as, you know, first of all, the the experience of, okay, we know why you wrote the book. Okay, you wrote the book. Now it's time to publish it. What was that experience like? It's a long process getting published in the children's <laughs> world. You know, it takes uh, years or, I mean, if you're lucky, you can get published your first try. But for me, it took... So I started writing in 2010. I had my first daughter and I printed out all my stories and I sent them in and none of them was Layla's lunchbox, but I was really um, hopeful that I'd have a book and I was really confident. And then all my books came back as rejections. You would print out your stories and mail them and they would come back in the mailbox. But nowadays it's better. You can email your stories out. So it's less depressing when you get to get your mail, but it's more depressing when you actually check your email. Um, But I wrote a lot of those stories and I got all rejections. So I sort of took a break and I think I had another daughter and I thought I really should try again. I really want to write a picture book and I know it takes time. So that's when I researched all the Ramadan books and I wrote Layla's Lunchbox and I was still on the fence about sending it in. And my aunt was actually visiting me and she said, hey, I think the story is a really good one. I think you should mail this in. I thought, okay. So I mailed it to 10 agents and 10 publishers. 
And one agent um, liked it and one publisher liked it, which was Tilbury House Publishers, and they made the offer. So it's important to note, even though Leila Zentrox is doing really well and it's gotten awards, there were still a lot of rejections for the story. It wasn't like people were fighting over it. So I was really excited that Tilbury House took a chance on my book and they published it and it's doing well now. So basically it it was like a five-year process. Really? Wow. So some people go the self-publishing route. I, and yeah. do you, can you explain the difference? I mean, do you, I, I'm mm-hmm. trying to understand, like you went the traditional big time publishers. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Yes. So your okay. Yes. Yeah, so they were um, a smaller publisher, but my next two books are with still uh, like medium publishers. But um, so to self-publish, you're going to be paying an illustrator and you're going to be paying for your books to be printed and edited and all that's all new in marketing. When you go with the traditional okay. world, the publisher um, can be very picky about what they choose to publish. They usually have a list of things they're looking for. So I have really had to research the different publishers to see, um, like Tilbury House published books about immigration and social justice. And I thought, I think they'll be a good fit. Um, they choose the illustrator. They cover the printing costs. You get paid like a small percentage. I know with, tradition, with self-publishing, I think all the royalties go straight to you, whereas traditionally right. publishing, you get only a small percentage. But um, they're marketing for you, which is really nice, and it's easier to get into libraries and the school systems because your book has already sort of made that cut, which is nice. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. So, you know, now where's Layla's lunchbox, Barnes and Noble? Like wh- where is it? Where can it be yeah. found? Um, so I haven't gone to Barnes. I know it was in Barnes and Noble. I just haven't mm-hmm. gone anywhere with the quarantine, but um, I know a lot of independent bookstores have it like little shop of stories. When I went a few months ago, had it. And um I know Amazon has it. So basically a lot of online bookstores have the book. And even um, there are Muslim bookstores too that have it. I think, I can't remember the name okay. of it, but they yeah. do have yeah. it. Yeah. Nice, and nice. Libraries. And the, the library. And libraries. But That's I know amazing. libraries are closed right now, so. Yeah. And so school libraries, I'm assuming as well. Like a lot of schools, you're in, your book is in, into schools right now? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I know people like librarians have messaged me and said that my book gets checked out a lot. So that makes me feel happy. But um, yeah, so I know not every school library has it, but probably quite a few at this point. And I know Fulton County has it and Dade County have my book. Mm. Okay, okay. Who would be some of your advice? Say that again? I'm sorry. Sorry, I I was saying it's really exciting when you're in the library, like to look your name up in the library system is fun. <laughs> I know, I know. That has to be amazing. What type of advice would you give? Um, we have a lot of authors on the show, to be honest with you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with authors, to be honest, Muslim authors, I should say. Um, those yeah, that I, I know the grueling, yeah, the grueling process of it all. I mean, I'm not an author, but I've talked to enough to understand that it's a serious, serious dedication and commitment. Um, so I, I just appreciate Muslim authors. But what would be your advice to up-and-coming Muslim authors? What would be some advice you would give them? Yes, I would tell them don't give up. Good stories, even regular stories, take time. 
So, for example, one of my stories I wrote years ago, it's a picture book, and it just recently got an offer. So it took like five years of, actually, maybe like more than five years, which is crazy, but maybe even seven years. And it's a picture book. So picture books are such few words. But um, just to edit a picture book, you'll be surprised by how slow the edits can take because you're literally going word by word, sentence by sentence. So to kind of um, stick to it, if you want to do it, like taking breaks is totally normal and fine. But if your goal is to get published, like keep at it, find a good critique partner or a critique group. There's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, whereas where I found some critique partners. So that's where you exchange your manuscripts and you get feedback. Even on Twitter, there's a really good writers community. Um, you can even agents and get started that way so I think mostly just don't give up and read a lot of books so that way you know what's already out there like my first few books were more cutesy stories about rainbows and people like becoming big sisters and little sisters but when I looked at the children's book market there were already so many books on that topic and not that many on Ramadan at that time so yeah I think just keep at it Keep that at the forefront. Yeah, that's some powerful advice. Um, you know, and like I said, a lot of I've talked to public, um, excuse me, writers that have went the self-publishing route and those that went mm-hmm. the traditional route. You know, regardless, it's it's a sacrifice. Um, yes. and but I, I, whichever way you do, yeah. good and um, be used to rejection because mm-hmm. you will probably get a few, or if not a few, a lot of rejection. But to just keep going if you believe in your story. Yeah, yeah, and look how well, mashallah, Layla's lunchbox is doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Are you two new books? Um, you don't have to drop any, you know, spoilers or anything like that. But are they Ramadan related? Could you tell us no. that? <laughs> so, no, one, okay. um, one is totally not Ramadan related. One is actually about Eid, and it's Ooh. about this little. It's called Amira's Picture Day. And it's about this little girl called Amira and Eid happens to fall on picture day. And she's worried if she goes for uh, the Eid prayer, she's going to miss her class photo. And how will her class remember her if she's not in her picture? So it was, you know, how sometimes you don't know when Eid is. And it's always kind of stressful explaining to coworkers or even classmates why you're not going to be there either Wednesday or Thursday, but you don't know yet. So it's kind of going with that. Oh, that's that's a great storyline. Wow. Yeah. And what about the other? Oh, the other one is about bullying told from the bully's perspective. So it's actually um, loosely based on my experiences. There was a child in my school who um, needed more help. So the main character is helping someone who usually needs a little more assistance in the classroom. And when she gets teased for helping him, she kind of takes a step back and instead of being kind and friendly, she sort of turns on him and how she deals with that internal turmoil turmoil of feeling really bad for not helping someone who needs help and um, how she later finds her voice to help again. Wow. These stories yeah, sound powerful. That one's heavier. It's sadder. Yeah. It's fewer words, but I really hope that that one will be a good resource in a classroom. And I think the other one will be a really nice way to explain Eid to coworkers or classmates. Yeah, for sure. MashaAllah, you really 
write in a very intentional way to, to um, write in stories that you're hoping that will increase dialogue and impact yes. some kind of change. Well, I got a lot That's of rejections. Amazing. So these are the ones that made it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, you know, some would say, Hey, writing a children's book is easy, like a couple pages, you know, what would you say to that for those that <laughs> say um, writing a children's book is easier or easier? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for some people, it, it is probably easier, but I do want to tell that person that um, some books, and here's the thing, some stories do come a lot easier. Like Layla's Lunchbox was easier for me to write than a picture book biography that I did. But even though there's such few words, each word really has to count. Like there have been times when I have like a much longer manuscript and I have had to half it, you know, make it half the length. And that's really hard when you have to go through a story and cut out sentence by sentence, word by word, and see what really counts. And I think with books with more words, you can be less choosy and less picky about it. But with picture books, every word and every sort of character really makes a difference. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Every word counts. Yes, you have so much in there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been really enlightening. I do want to get um, one final piece of advice. Um, sure. Are there any final tips? Are there any final tips from Layla's Lunchbox that we can take during this very unique Ramadan? Oh, that's a really good any one. Any wisdom from the book? <laughs> oh, so directly from the book, any tips? Yeah, or any wisdom, even if it's implicit or explicitly in the book. Um, um, so before I wrote Layla's Lunchbox, there's a poem on near the end of the book where Layla writes, oh, Ramadan is a month of blessings, a time to, I can't remember, I've been reading it so much lately, but basically <laughs> honor blessings and appreciate. And then it sort of kind of talks about Ramadan and explains it. So before Layla's Lunchbox was a book, my mom would make like, um, you know, samosas, like little pastries. And yeah, she would I do. food every Ramadan and she would deliver it to the neighbors. And that was back a few years ago, like many years ago when I used to live at home and I was a teenager. And she would say, hey, can you type me up the ingredients in the samosa and write a little note about Ramadan? And that was actually where the Ramadan poem I wrote that Ramadan poem years ago. And when I went back to writing Layla's Lunchbox, I was like, hey, I should use that poem we sent to neighbors. So the other day we were delivering cake to the neighbors. My seven-year-old was like, oh, we need to write that poem, the Layla Lunchbox poem for the neighbors. I was like, okay. So she took a really long time to write the poem. I was like, okay, only one neighbor is going to get this note (laughs) because it's going to be time we deliver it. But one thing you can do if you have extra food or cookies mm-hmm. or anything baked or even not baked is to write not the whole poem, but whatever you even want on the poem. And you can um, send it off to your neighbors. And I think it's a sweet way to explain what Ramadan is. And, um, yeah, it's just a fun way to explain what's going on that month and share something yummy with them, too. Yeah, what a great – that's what a great tip. MashaAllah. That's, yeah, it's that's- fun. I know, yeah, I know a lot of people that engage in that, um, that engage in these acts, and it's like the book kind of gives you a starter for it. 
pretty much. Yeah. And it was um, another thing that I would do when we go to schools is there was this hashtag trending years ago and it was hashtag things I wish my teacher knew. And when teachers would ask their students to share, what do you wish we knew about you? They got such amazing responses. Like, you know, I wish you knew that I didn't eat dinner at night, or I wish you knew, you know, hard things that were going on that my parents fight every day, or I wish you knew that um, I don't have new shoes, you know, really like um, raw kind of sentences that the teachers found out. And when I do my book, I say, you know, Layla wishes that her teacher knew that she was Muslim. Um, so it's something small, but now that we're all home, you could take the book and say, what do you wish your parents knew about you? Or what do you wish your teachers, if you're doing Zoom class with them, what do you wish they knew about you? And that's a really good sentence prompt to get children thinking of how they can connect the story more to them. Because whether you're Muslim or not Muslim, everyone has that fish out of water moment where you feel like you're the one who stands out. And how can you sort of blend in? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do that with my kids. That's a great, that's great yeah. advice. Great How old are your children? So one, 13, 8, and um, 5. Oh, that's really cool. 13, 8, and 5. Hey, they're all like, um, okay, 5 years, 2 years. Yeah, mine are 9, 7, and 2. So I need to ask okay. you about, a little bit about your, how you do 13-year-olds. <laughs> It's no joke, but mashallah. <laughs> mashallah. Fast, you know? Yeah, they grow so fast. And, you know, girls, mashallah, they have so many elements to them that it makes it interesting raising them. It's a joy, but, yes. you know, caretaking them takes takes a lot of intentionality, as I'm sure it does with boys, but I, I can only draw from my emotion. Experience. So much emotion. The emotion of it all. Like yeah, exactly. And I don't remember all this emotion when we were kids. Like it's a lot, a lot of emotion, a lot of volume and tears and sadness, yeah. happiness. One minute we're laughing, one minute they're crying. Yep. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. That's what I'm saying. It takes it takes a, a lot out of out of you as a parent to manage it all and then to manage it, try to manage it well, you know. Um, because you're right, it's so much emotion and they seem so fragile sometimes, you know, it's like Ramadan when you're already sort of emotionally depleted and physically. But I think we'll get out of this all stronger, inshallah. Inshallah. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Well, Sister Reem, I definitely appreciate this conversation. I think it was extremely enlightening in more ways than one. Um, we went over, you know, um, Layla's lunchbox in detail and just kind of taking some wisdom from that. And then, you know, mashallah, you shared some beautiful wisdom about just being an author and just that experience, which I know people will benefit from. So I wanted to oh, just thank God. you so much for coming yeah, and sharing your wisdom. Yeah. Thanks so much for um, inviting me and asking me such deep and insightful questions. <laughs> I, I know I probably had a few pauses, but I really had to think about um, getting the answers yeah. right. So this was fun. Yeah, no they, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And it's interesting because when I posted you coming on the show, mashallah, you had so many, I don't know if they personally knew you or if they were just fans of the book, but they were like, oh my God, I love her. I love her. I love her. I was oh. like, yes, inshallah. <laughs> like when is the podcast coming? I'm like soon enough, inshallah. So yeah, alhamdulillah. Yeah, tell yeah. them they can um whoever loves me <laughs> out there, they can reach out to me and I'm sure I'll love them back. Um but yeah, they can check out my blog or 
um, which is basically my name, reemfaruki.com. And I'll be happy to like answer any more writing questions that they might specifically have or, you know, uh, read to kids, anything they want. I can hopefully do if I have energy, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah. So is that the best is reemfaruki.com the best place to get like the latest updates of like when your books will be released or just, is that the best place to go? Yeah, I think so. Or if okay. you like social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, just basically reemfaruki, my name. And um, sometimes people reach out to me and ask questions. And on my blog, I have a section for writers. So with like frequently asked questions, so they can be sure to check that out too, because sometimes um, their questions might be answered over there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So listeners, you heard that. Um, she's mashallah offering a lot and she is available if you do want to touch base and talk more about this. But I did want to thank the listeners for tuning in and thank Reem for being an amazing guest. This thank is you. another, mashallah, this is another amazing Ramadan series, um, dope episode that we have here. Continue to follow us on all of our platforms. Continue to give us feedback. It matters to us. Thank you so much. And inshallah, we will catch you next time. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.